Let's jump right into this series. It's called Just Breathe. We're gonna look at how it applies to this thing called marriage. And let me just call out the, like the Captain Obvious moment right now. Some of you right now, you didn't know that's what we're gonna talk about, and you're thinking like, well, great. What about me? What about me? I mean, I wouldn't come today. I mean, here's why. I'm, I'm not married yet or anymore because I'm 14. This isn't Kentucky. Whatever that is, or because... <laughs> I used to live there, or, or because I'm divorced, or because I just don't want to be married. Okay, fine. That's fair. That's fair. Okay. Here's what I have learned about God. He doesn't do anything in isolation. And the truth that's at the bottom of this thing called marriage is a truth that will apply to all of our lives, regardless of our age or our gender or our marital status, past, present, future. I, I believe that if God wants to teach you something today, it will be relevant to your life. So let's just start by asking that. We, we said we we're going to a church that, that prays more. So we're going to pray a prayer like this. Hey, God, you're good, and you love each one of us, and you want good for us. Do you believe that? So through your spirit, God, we're going to ask these next few minutes, make clear to each one of us what it is that you want to teach us about you and about us and about this. And if we were to apply your truth to our life, again, married or single, what life might look like if we were to live every day with our life with Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen. So that's our prayer. So quick review, all right, last week, we, we, we looked at this idea that in, in order for any of us to experience the, the kind of life that both God and we want for our, ourselves and for the people closest to us, it doesn't start with looking so much as at, at right now, like what's going on right now in this moment, as much as it does going, and this is what we talked about last week, going upstream to figure some stuff out or to look at some stuff. And the metaphor that we were using in this whole series is we're kind of looking at what we're breathing, what we're breathing in, um, what we're looking to, what we're leaning on to tell us what's really true about life, about the world. And then out of that, like downstream, out of that truth, our lives happen down here, okay? For, for example, if I don't know who God really is, maybe I got a jacked up version of him going in my head, all right? If I don't know who, who we are created and meant to be, if I don't know who I am to God, then the result downstream, some of us are living this right now, is you just make it up as you go and you hold your breath and you gut it out. And after a while, you get really, really tired and you feel like I'm drowning. Anybody relate to that? I feel like I'm suffocating. And then you'll get like, if you've ever been held underwater, you do what you always do. You panic, right? And then you make really, really bad decisions. You just grasp at whatever is close by that, that feels like that's what I need right now. And most of the time it's not. See, but Jesus taught this, Then we looked at this last week, Jesus taught that if we would just seek him first, like look to him and what he says is actually true about God and what is actually true about you, not what other people have said, what he says is true about you and what he says about how life works best, he says that if that's like, if that's the oxygen that you're breathing and you're, and you're full of that, he promises that downstream, he will make sure that you will have everything that he knows that you need. He knows. You just gotta seek him first. And where we landed last week was this, in order for any of that to happen, we have to know what Jesus actually said was true. We have to know his word, not secondhand or thirdhand. We have to go back to his word and go, what did you say is true? But just knowing the Bible is not enough. We have to follow it with this. We have to be filled with his spirit so we know what to do with that truth. I've got all this truth. I have no idea what to do with it. So to put ourselves like in the best possible position for those things to become reality in our life, I've got God's word in me and I've got God's spirit in me, all right? We made a covenant last week and a lot of you took it serious because there's a lot of people here. I assume the other campuses is the same way, but we made a covenant. That's a spiritual promise, not a deal or a contract, a spiritual promise to God and to one another 
that in order for those things to be reality in our life, here's what we would do. I will covenant with God and with one another, and one another is all, everybody who says, Flatterance is my church, to attend one of our physical campuses every week to hear God's truth from my life, and I will use online, or start using online, as a supplement when I physically cannot be at a campus. Sometimes you can't make it, that's why online, and it's awesome. But it's not as good as this. Just being together, some, something happens. The second one is this, I will covenant with God and with one another to prioritize prayer, both here at church and in my daily life, all week long, so that I can hear directly from God's spirit what he's telling me to do with his truth. And we're doing all this for one reason, because we know, because when we know what God says is true and we were filled with God's presence, that puts us in the best possible position to carry out what God put us on this planet to do. Our mission, our purpose, it may include a family, it may include kids, it may include friendships, it may include, I don't know, but we're set up best for that to prosper if we know his word and we're full of his spirit. Does that make sense? See, when God's word is in us and God's spirit is leading us, Jesus said that the metaphor is this, it's like air. It's as important to your life as oxygen is to your lungs. And when that's happening, when you're breathing, we were able to keep on going. In a thrive, like abundant kind of life, not just barely life, like, like thriving, no matter what happens in our lives or how long it lasts. Because sometimes when you hold your breath, it's more than 15 seconds. And sometimes our problems are too. So with that, Let's see how that applies to marriage. Buckle up. Okay, so set this up. Let me, let me get another thing out of the way, okay? A couple of weeks ago, everyone's in my social media department, they'll, they'll, they'll pull a clip out of my talk and they'll post it online. And two weeks ago, they did that and it went a little bit viral. Look at it, okay? I actually believe that if men could get their crap figured out, 99% of the problems that women and children have to deal with that land on them simply go away. I want good for women, I want, I want everything for women that God wants, wants for women. I do, right? The most loving thing I can ever do for women and children is to call the men in their life back to who and what God created them to be and do. Okay, so now, amen, all right? So I, I really believe that. Do you know what the top responses were from men when they read that online? Here's number two, okay? Number two response, and there were lots, all right? Number two most common, another church bashing men. Nope. No, no, not true. I will never bash men. I won't bash women. All I simply want to do is call men up or back up to their true identity and calling on their lives given to them by their creator, God. I want men to lead again. That's what I want, okay? But do you know what? Do you know what the number one, the number one by far response from men was when they, when they, they listened to that? Number one. What about the women? <laughs> by triple, all right? And some of you are sitting there going, yeah, that's what I was thinking. I think right in my head, all right, right? The number one response from men when challenged that they may not be doing something right was they blamed women, which shouldn't surprise us. Because if you go back to the Bible, Genesis chapter three, when God asked Adam, why did you sin? Here's what Adam's response was. The man said to God, the woman whom you gave to me to be with me, she gave me fruit of the tree and I ate. So why did I screw up God? You want to know? Her. Her fault, the woman you gave to me, so God is kind of on you for giving me the wrong kind of woman. All I know is don't blame me, fix her, okay? And for the record, ladies, because you're feeling really condescending right now, right? For the record, when the woman was confronted about her sin, her first response was, it was not my fault, Satan tricked me. I was, I'm a victim here. Okay, bottom line, both of their first responses were not my fault, don't blame me, blame somebody else. 
Now, here's why I bring all of that up before we dig into marriage. Well, let's be honest. We are not gonna cover everything the Bible has to say about marriage in 30 minutes or 30 years, all right? Um, I do know this. Even 30 minutes of looking at God's truth is a total waste of time if the tape that's playing in your head that's already started for some of us, man or woman, is just sitting here going, yeah, this, my, this is different. This is different. This is not my fault. This is his fault. This is her fault. What about them? And what about this? And what about that? And what about that? Listen, okay, that's fair. You know, so, sometimes when I'm, I'm, I'm leading these men's retreats or helping lead these men's retreats, uh, at the beginning of the weekend, I'll ask the man, so what do you want to happen? What, what do you want to happen in your life? And sometimes the answer comes back, I want my wife to change. I want my wife to treat me differently. I want my wife to do this. And to which I'll go, time out, she's not here. So that's not gonna happen. So this is about, this weekend's about looking in the mirror and asking what's going on in me that might need to change? Because that's all I'm in charge of, me. So here's the only way that this is gonna work, all right? You have to get on board with, you cannot fix your husband. You cannot fix your wife or your boyfriend or your girlfriend or anyone, right? They have their own junk going on with God. They're in their own wrestling match with God, all right? So today is about looking in the mirror and what you might need to rethink, that's the word, all right? Rethink like upstream, like internally, so that you are different moving into from now on because all we have is from now on, right? We can't change the past, but what are we gonna do from now on? Make sense? Nod your heads. Okay, good, good. So, so try not to get defensive, try not to blame, and try not to use that phrase, yeah, but what about, you can pick that up in the parking lot. Okay, for the next 30 minutes, no, okay. So, marriage, marriage, uh, uh, it's a good movie, all right? Uh, it's, it's kind of a big deal, all right? But the, tr the truth is, is that it feels like our culture has redefined marriage as either obsolete or antiquated or, or, or shunned it altogether as a realistic way that anybody would wanna live their life. I mean, don't say it out loud, but can you, can you name any like, recent movies or TV shows where the couple waited until after marriage to have sex? Even though God is very, very clear, sex is an act of intimacy between a man and a woman joined by the Holy Spirit in marriage. He's very clear on that. Can you name one? And I'm not talking about the Hallmark Channel. I'm talking about real TV, all right? Um, <laughs> how about this? Let's just go expand it, all right? Can you name five celebrities? Rock stars, whatever you want to call them, all right? Professional athletes, government leaders who started with and ended their life still married to the original person they, they married in their 20s. And you might come up with one or two, but it'd be hard. See, if you were to ask the average young adult inside the church or outside that have anything to do with the church, what are your thoughts on marriage? The typical response is, no thanks. Even if I wanted to get married, I haven't seen it work out well for many people, starting with my parents. I don't know what I want, I know what I don't want. Now that is not a blanket rule, and it probably doesn't apply to you. But it's very common. But here's the reality. So let's just you know, keep on rolling with the political incorrectness, because it's my major, all right? So, uh, so, so God said, who said? It's very important you remember that because I don't want that email going, well, Jim, are you saying, I'm not saying anything. What is Flatiron's position on? I don't know. God said, and we're gonna hang with that, okay? What'd God say? Then the Lord God said, it is not good that man should be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. So who said? 
God said, it is a good thing for a man and a woman to get married. And God said, being alone is not a good thing. That's what he said. That is not a slam against singleness. But unless you have a calling on your life from God to remain single, which is a real thing, which again, according to God's word, includes a life of celibacy and service to Jesus Christ in the church. Everybody leaves that out, right? For, for the rest of us, because it just got awkward. Uh, uh, marriage is it's pretty good chance marriage is in God's plan for your life. Why? Why would God say that marriage is better than being alone? Now, time out, total disclosure. This is the second version of this talk that I wrote for today. And the first one, I'm gonna tell you very humbly, was awesome. I mean, it was deep. It delved into deep theological truths and, and ideas. It was loaded up with Greek and Hebrew words right out of the Bible. I started working on a master's program. I'm pretty sure if I would have turned it in, I'd get an A. I humbly submit that to you. Anyway, it was also about 20 pages long and would have lasted an hour and a half. And I'm pretty sure that it would have been like drinking from a fire hose. And about 10 minutes in, you would have gone, you glaze over and went, I just want less drama. Uh, less chaos. I just like to, my house to be more fun. That's all, that's my bar. That's all I'm going for, right? So that's fair. So I threw it out and I wrote a new talk. So I'm gonna get right to it. Why is marriage better than being alone? Why is it such a big deal? And why is it so important that we figure it out? And here's what I've found, all right? Be because when you are in a marriage that actually images what God intended marriage to image, three things. Take a picture if you want, all right? First, if you're in a marriage that's actually thriving, you'll better understand who God is. And I'll explain all this. Second is, you'll better understand the kind of love that Jesus has for you. And here's a big one. The third one is this. You'll understand what grace really looks like and how dependent you are on grace to even make it. If you get it right, you experience all that. And if you get it wrong, you'll have a glimpse of what hell feels like, which is separation from all those things that God says is possible. Because we all know this is true. I don't know who said this. It should be in the Bible, but it's not. So I'm gonna write in the last cover, all right? This should be in the book of Proverbs, all right? It is better to be single and wish that you were married than to be married and wish that you were single. <laughs> Can I get an amen? All right, um, some of you going, I can't say amen. She's right there, right? So, all right, so I get it, all right. Just look straight ahead, right? So let me explain how we get to all of that. Again, we have to go way upstream, and we're gonna go way upstream back to the word of God to teach us, and we're gonna look at some really, really tough stuff today, so we're gonna have to ask the Holy Spirit to teach us what that means for us. That's what we prayed earlier. So here's one of the very first things that we learn about God in the Bible. It's found in like the fifth book of the Bible, book of Deuteronomy. A really famous guy named Moses is speaking to the Jewish people, and basically he's like, file this away. This is really a big deal. He says this, hero Israel. In Hebrew, this is called the Shema, all right? The hero Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is, what's the next word? One. That's really important you remember that. Okay, we'll come back to it a lot, all right? You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. And might can be split into two parts, mind and, and strength. So God is what? One. He's one. So we have one God. The Hebrew word uh, for one is echad. It means that God is whole. God is complete. But we also know this, maybe you've heard of this before, God is trinity. 
So God is Father, God is Son, and God is Holy Spirit. But we don't have three gods, but one God who is three in one. God is his own complete community. Before creation, before any of this happened, God was in community with himself. If you can't get your head around that, join about 5,000 years of history, it's just a tough concept. So hang on to it as best you can, okay? Now, so God is in community with himself, perfect community with himself. Now let's skip ahead to creation of us. One time Jesus was asked, hey, Jesus, when can we get divorced? Tell me how to get out of this thing, okay? When can we get divorced? And Jesus quotes from the first chapters of the Bible back in Genesis, and he goes, let's go all the way back to the beginning of how God set this all up. You wanna know how to get, when you can get divorced? Jesus responds this, have you not read that he, God who created them, from the beginning, made them male and female, and said, therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become, what's the word? One flesh. So they're no longer two, but there it is again, echad, flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. A bunch of you had that as like the closing words in in your wedding ceremony, I bet, right? So hang with me. Marriage is meant to image Trinity, this is why it's a big deal. Then you're just like, I don't you want to hook up and get married? I don't know. No, no. It's a big deal. It's meant to image Trinity. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. What do you mean? Husband, wife, Holy Spirit, gluing them together into one new thing. They are no longer two, but they are one, just like God is one. And you and your wife, you and your husband have been joined by God. Everybody with me? Good, okay, so, so later, Jesus was asked this. Hey, Jesus, what's the greatest commandment to come from God in our direction? Like, if God said, like, hey, you gotta hold on to this most important thing, what would that be? And Jesus goes back to those verses we, we quoted earlier, and he expands on them a little bit. So what's the most important thing to remember from God? The most important one, answered Jesus, is this. Is familiar? Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is God. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. But Jesus doesn't stop there. The second is this, and in the original, it actually goes this. The second is like unto it, connected to it, and you cannot separate them. They're one big commandment. The second is this, love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment, singular, greater than these. So if you got lost in all that, let me catch you up. You, whether you're a Christian or not, you were created in the image of God. Male, female, equally in the image of God. What was I created to do and be? You were created to love God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength, with every fiber of your being, you exist to love. You exist to love your neighbor as yourself. What do you mean as myself? As if you were one, God. Now, who would be, this is a test, who would be your closest, most important neighbor if you were married? My mom, no. Your spouse, You're followed by your children. That's very important. Followed by your children. It's not my kids are the most important thing. In my, no, it's my spouse followed by my children. And you know what? If, in an ideal world, that all sounds great, doesn't it? So what messes everything up? What messes up that picture, that image that is supposed to be this community that imitates what God has? And the answer is this, Sin. Well, I'm gonna expound on this, so don't think, oh, that's a churchy answer. I know, it's church. <laughs> all right, so let me expand on that a bit, all right? At the root of all sin is pride and selfishness. Let that sink in. 
At the root of all sin is pride and selfishness. Why did I do that? Right? Okay. Uh, a guy named John Stout, I'm, I'm, I'm reading books now. So smart. All right. He says this, sin is revolt against loving God and prioritizing our neighbor. So that's sin. That's all we're talking about. God says something. I'm going to do something different. What is that? It's pride. It's selfishness. Every sin that you and I have ever committed, every sin that somebody else has committed against us can be traced back to one. One of you said this, I know what God wants. I'm going to do something different. I don't care about meeting my neighbor's needs because meeting my neighbor's needs gets in the way of me having what I want. Usually by playing that card, it's just the way it is. I can't help it. Don't blame me. Not my fault. It's sin. It's pride. It's selfishness. Now again, Take those verses, take out the word neighbor and put in husband or wife and oneness, echad, falls apart fast. So I'm gonna go out on a limb here and I'm gonna say something I think is right. I might be wrong, but I don't think I am. If I thought I was wrong, I would change it. I've been wrong before and I know some of you are wrong. I've talked to you. So here's, you're right. I'm so certain of this. I would say this applies to hundred percent of marriages, taking a, taking a stab at it, okay? If your marriage is in trouble, past, present, future, if there is any disunity between you, any disagreement, if there's constant bickering and criticism and it feels like love and joy and intimacy have left the building, if you go a little ways or a long ways upstream, I bet that you will find that one or both of you have pride and selfishness going on which is the opposite of love, at least how God defines love. See, whatever definition of love you're working off of, and we all have our own, it's sexual attraction, it's physical attraction, it's intimacy, it's friendship, it's we just enjoy doing stuff together. We have common goals, we have common interests. Pick your country song line, all right? She completes me, all right? He's my soulmate, right? Great, all right? At the end of the day, here's the definition of love. Love is all about, what's that word? Choosing, it's not an emotion, that just in the last 50, 60 years or so, right? Go all the way back. Love is all about choosing sacrifice and servanthood. Choosing, you didn't have to get married. You chose to. Choosing to lay down my life and my rights and my priorities. Why would I ever do that? In order to provide, protect, and serve my spouse for the rest of their life. That's what I signed up for. And the key word there is choosing. Which is why that song we just sang, I can't help falling in love with you. Listen, it's very romantic. You probably had it in your wedding. It's absolute garbage philosophy and theology and anthropology. It's, it's based totally wrong because just go with me, all right? If I can't have falling in love with you, kind of like I can't help it, I fell in a hole, then by the same logic, I can't help falling out of love with you. Don't blame me, it's just happened. Not my fault. Yes, it is. <laughs> Amen, sister. Yeah, 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 it is. See, love is a choice that you don't have to make. So be careful if you choose it. I choose sacrifice and servanthood, no matter what happens, for better or worse, including the worst, that on your wedding day when you said that, you had no idea how worse it would get. You probably wouldn't have signed up, but you did. Because he or she didn't sign up for that to happen, but you did. She didn't sign up for cancer, child loss, joblessness, depression. You did. That went in my notes. I just got convicted about it. 
which raises the conversation playing in some of our heads right now. That sounds risky. If I risk laying down my life in sacrifice and service for somebody else, big question, who's gonna take care of me? And some of us feel like I got burned. See, for some of us, that version of love, of marriage, sounds risky, threatening, demeaning, confining. Sacrifice and servanthood sounds like slavery. I don't think that that's what God wants for any of us. So, so what, what if, just go with me if you can, what if that kind of love actually leads to freedom? Now follow me on this, okay? I, I wanna read you a, I'm gonna call it a mind-blowing quote from a book I'm reading by John Stott called The Gospel, right? Uh, it, it's just great. It's a long quote and we'll post it on social media later this week. So don't try to like, just, just follow along with me. This is so good. True freedom, and we're talking about the freedom we find in Christ, been set free, my chains are gone, like, right, that kind of freedom. True freedom is the freedom to be my true self as God made me and meant me to be, and God made me for loving. Can everybody handle that so far? So yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, I want to be my true self, right? But love is giving, self-giving. Therefore, in order to be myself, I have to deny myself and give myself. In order to be free, I have to serve. In order to live, I have to die to my own self-centeredness. In order to find myself, I have to lose myself in loving. True freedom is, then, the exact opposite of what many people think. It is not being free from responsibility to God and to others so I can live for myself. That's bondage to my own self-centeredness. Here we go. Instead, true freedom is freedom from my silly little self so I can live responsible for God I'm going to paraphrase it, and for my husband and my wife. Wouldn't you like to get into that kind of love? So well, but then what gets in the way of that? What gets in the way of that freedom to live for God and to live for your husband or wife? And I, I know this sounds churchy, but it's church. The answer is sin screws up everything. Can you be more specific? Pride and selfishness. God, I know what you said. I know what you want. I know what my husband needs. I know what my wife needs, but I'm going to choose to do something different. That's all I'm talking about. There's a lot of other parts of marriage we could talk about. I'm not talking about them. I'm just talking about this slice of the pie. Sin, pride and selfishness. And what is the only solution to this or any sin? And the answer is, according to Jesus, we gotta repent. What do you mean? Let me tell you what repent is not. I'm really sorry, and, and I'm sorry I got caught, really. But I'm sorry, and I, you know what? I'll try to do better, and I'll work really, really hard to be a better. Listen, write this. No, you won't. You can't. Because you meant it the last time. And if you could pull it off, you would have already fixed it. See, repent, according to Jesus, means rethinking the way you think about everything, rethinking your views on this is what marriage is, this is his role, or this is her role, and, and then taking that and going, I gotta line that up with what God says is true in his word, because if your first approach to love and marriage is having your wants and your needs met as opposed to serving and sacrificing so that God is honored and your spouse thrives to become the man or woman that God intended them to be, if, if that's you, you have to change your mind. But it's not just changing your mind, thinking different. That's, that's not enough. And we all need to do that in a lot of areas of our life. We have to go further, and this one's no different. The only solution to this or any sin in our lives and seeing something actually change in our life, the only thing that will fix us and change us is the blood of Christ. And everything else is way down the list. What do you mean? The blood of Christ, what he did on a cross for us, sets us free from sin and guilt. I need forgiveness 
for all this stuff upstream that I am throwing at everybody around me. And I need God's spirit internally changing me from selfish to selfless. If you want your marriage to survive, and maybe it's going really, really well right now, but maybe it's gone through a rough past to heal. If you want your marriage to thrive and prosper from the past moving into the future, because that's all we got, we're going we're gonna to have to just spend some time repenting. I got to rethink some stuff. I got to let go of some of this stuff, this baggage that I thought marriage would actually fix. It didn't. I just throw it at the person that shares a bed with me. I got to ask for forgiveness from the past and freedom from the past. I need to ask to God to forgive my choice to sin. That's why Jesus went on the cross for what we're talking about right now. I need to ask God's spirit to begin a new work in me. It's, it's your only hope. It's, it's, my, it's my only hope. It's our only hope. Let me boil this down. God is three in one. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, all serving one another. The church is Christ, us, and the Holy Spirit, all serving one another. Marriage is husband, wife, and the Holy Spirit, all serving one another. You see why it's a big deal? No pride, no selfishness, no, well, what about me? Just love, serving, sacrificing, providing, and protecting. So what's that even look like? And it's, it's tough to find. It's modeled after the love that Jesus has already demonstrated for you. He serves you. He has sacrificed everything for you and me. He's provided all that we need, and he's protecting you. It's the same with your marriage. And your marriage will be glued together by the spirit that is in you, and it is fueled by the grace that covers you and that you have to pour out on one another. The secret to marriage is a lot of grace. So that was pretty heavy. And maybe not what you were expecting, right? Right? So, because I know it's falling so hard on some of us. I can see tears in people's eyes. I can see, like, how fast can I get to the truck? I get it. So let, we're going to end, like we said, we're going we're gonna to pray more as a church. So as we pray, and we're going to worship together, and, um, and I'm going to be down front, our prayer team's going to be down front. If you, I don't want to just stand here and pray. I just need someone to pray with me. We'll be down here until everybody goes home, all right? But for the next few minutes, whatever you're praying, let's try not to use phrases like, yeah, but what about him or her? And if they were only different, and, but I can't help it. Oh, all right. Then don't pray. But let's ask God to search our hearts. God, what do you want me to learn from you today about you, about me and my own heart and what might be coming out on those around me? Especially the person I'm married to, but even if I'm single, even if I'm 14, I got a bunch of crud inside of me and it's coming out on everybody around me. God, search me and see if there's any pride and selfishness that's standing opposed to what I know that you say is true and good and what you want from me. God, what, ready? What are you commanding me to get up out of this room and go do different? Because God has never asked. He's never suggested. He says, this is true. Follow me. And the response is, I don't want to. I don't think it's fair. I don't think it'll work. I don't understand it will help. I get it. Listen, here's what I know. We cannot fix our own sin problem. We cannot get rid of pride and selfishness on our own simply by changing our mind and resolving, I'm gonna try really, really hard. I've tried that a thousand times. It definitely includes some of those things. But if that's all it took, if that's what worked, we would have already fixed our problem. 
and we wouldn't be selfish people anymore. Now, this is gonna take a, a supernatural level act of God, which begins by looking in the mirror and confessing to God, God, I've sinned. Here's what I mean by that. I know what you said is true. And I chose to do something different. I know that pride and selfishness have caused me to reject obeying what you told me to do. I can't deal with him right now. His sin or her sin is not mine to confess. It's just me and you having a conversation, God. But I put my own selfish wants first. I wanna ask for forgiveness, God. Would you let what Jesus did on a cross pay for my sin? Will you send your Holy Spirit into me to begin changing me from a selfish person to a selfless person? You don't have to do any of this. You can walk out of here and go try to fix your marriage on your own or some other way. But according to Jesus, who is very smart, the only thing that can really change anything on the level that we need it to change is him. So let me land this plane and then we're gonna pray and sing some more. But here's a personal, huge personal learning for me in the last couple of years. Uh, kind of an aha moment came when I was on sabbatical. I've shared part of it before. But here was an aha moment for me over the last couple of years. At the end of the day, all I have is me and Jesus and Robin, my wife. That's all I have. It's not me, Jesus, and my kids, because if I've done my job right, my kids have their own family. They're supposed to leave. Look straight ahead, your kids are 30. <laughs> it's not me, Jesus, and my grandkids, though that's kind of cool. It's not me, Jesus, and my career. It's not me, Jesus, and my health. It's not me, Jesus, and blah, 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 all right? It's just me and Jesus and Robin. And here's what I do know is that one day, Death will part us. And then it'll just be me and Jesus, or Robin and Jesus. It's just logically, in all of that, what would be the most important key relationship that we need to pay attention to if I have any hope of any of my relationships, but especially my relationship with Robin, to thrive? What relationship should I lean into the most? Me and Jesus. See, I could give you, I've heard so many of these sermons, five steps to better communication. Three ways to have a better whatever, right? But you know what? Maybe it works, but it doesn't start there. If it doesn't start with you and Jesus working some stuff out, starting today, being forgiven through his blood on the cross for you, having his spirit come and live inside of you, if it doesn't include humbling yourself and taking on the servant, sacrificial mind of Christ, whatever thing you grasp at while your marriage is drowning will at, at best be a temporary fix. And then you're gonna try for a while, you're gonna tread water for a while, and then you're gonna start choking, and you're gonna panic, and you're gonna go back to the old ways, and you will lose your marriage. It'll drown. I want more than that, anybody else? So we're gonna pray and worship. And we're, we're trying some new things here at Flatirons in terms of prayer. Last week, uh, I said, hey, if, if you're hurting, if you're sad, if you're worried, if you're angry, whatever, I had people raise their hands and you have covenant to pray for one another. I met this young man down here named Brandon. He's a kid, he's overwhelmed with stress and anxiety. He's a kid. Brandon, wherever you are, I pray for you every day. I'm gonna do something, it's risky. You go, oh, we're that kind of church now? We are. Um, I'm gonna ask anybody who is currently married, even if their husband or wife is not here at all of our campuses, would you stand up right now? Would you, would you, would you do that? 
I'm not saying you have a good marriage or bad marriage. You're just married. Yeah, here we are, right? Um, and we're going to pray for you, all right? Uh, we're not excluding anybody else, but this is, this is what we're talking about today. Um, and here's what we're going to ask, too. Whether you're seating or standing, I just want you to look around the room real quick and go, like, God, draw my heart to maybe another person, a couple or an individual. There's a story there. And that's the Holy Spirit to just kind of draw you to them. And will you pray for that couple? You don't have to know what's going on there. You don't have to know what that, that person's standing by themselves. You don't need to. You just need to love them. And you lift them up and pray for them. Will you do that? So I'm gonna pray, and then we're, we're gonna sing that breathe song, just breathe song again. Because sometimes it's just like, every, every take a breath, breath. Remember this last week? Now breathe in God. It's good. It's gotta start there. I'm gonna pray, and then we're gonna stand, we're gonna sing this song. And again, if you, need, if you need individual prayer, we'll be down here all the way through the end of service, all right? So let's pray. So God, before me and in our campuses and online are a bunch of people who, who signed up for something good. Something that was your idea that you said, this is better than being by yourself. And so we got into it and we had these high hopes and, and, it, and it, you know, for a while it just felt good. And, and then life happens and kids happen and money happens and health happens and aging happens and stress happens and just life happens and it feels like right now we're so far from what we signed up for we don't even know how to get back. So I lift up all these marriages that are represented here because as they go, there's a good chance so goes the rest of the family. And so I pray, first of all, love. Love is what got us into this. And your Holy Spirit's what's gonna keep us in this. And so I ask for more of your spirit individually, because when you're in each one of us individually, then you become the glue that holds us together. So God, whatever this world, it feels like sometimes, God, the world is formed against us. And we, we just, we rebuke that. We say, no, you cannot come in my house. You cannot be in my marriage. I won't lay it down. I will fight for my family, for my husband, for my wife, for my kids. I, I won't surrender. But we need your strength. We need your wisdom how to do that. God, I know there's a lot of marriages in here that are thriving. I praise you for that. And I pray they keep their eyes fixed on you and they just keep on going till death doesn't part and then just keep on going after that. I also know that there's probably some marriages in here. They're on their last breath. We've done all we know to do. And we haven't filed papers yet, but we, we've done some research because we don't know what to do. And God, only you know everybody's story in here, but I ask, I ask without apology, would you somehow get involved in that and bring restoration? You are, you are the God whose specialty is resurrecting dead stuff. And there's parts of our life, married or single, they're going, I don't know if that'll ever come back. Well, that's your specialty. And so we ask you to do what only you can do. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead, will you resurrect some of our marriages and our families? God, we trust you. So we breathe you in like oxygen to our lungs, except we're not breathing oxygen. We're breathing your son, your Holy Spirit in. We need him desperately in this crazy world. And we have him because we have Jesus. It's in his name I pray. Amen. Amen. Let's all stand up. Let's worship together. Here we go.